Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Uh, if also, if you're new with us, we are continuing in our series that we're going to head all the way into December uh, on the book of Acts. So let me go ahead, read our verses, and we'll jump in, all right? So Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 36. It says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In psychology, there's this thing called the porcupine dilemma. You know, it's a situation where it's a cold, wintry day, and porcupines need to huddle together so that they can stay warm and alive and not freeze to death. But as they draw close to each other, they begin to prick one another with their needles, and thus, they have to push away from one another. The porcupine dilemma is a metaphor to describe the challenges of human intimacy, that as we draw closer to one another because of that need for human connection, we also begin to prick at each other with differing opinions, differing personalities, our insecurities. I share this because disagreements are a part of life. If you have a brain, you have an opinion, and sometimes your opinion will vary from another person's. It's been said, I think, therefore, I disagree. The only type of person who doesn't disagree is the person who is dead, right? Though everyone disagrees, and all of us, at some capacity, deal with disagreeable people in our lives. That as much as we would love to say, I love being around everyone, let's be honest, there's just some folks we don't want to be around, that their personalities and their temperaments are just so different than mine that it almost feels like we're always disagreeing at any different levels. Disagreements can happen to anybody. It can happen to worldly people, and, can, and it can also happen to godly, spiritual people. It can happen to people from the same church who love each other intensely but may disagree over an issue. We can disagree with race issues. Leadership in the church, politics, wearing face masks, public schooling, or homeschooling, or Christian schooling, trick-or-treat on Halloween, speaking in tongues, watching secular movies, rated R movies, traditional worship versus contemporary worship, dressing casual for church, or dressing up. Christians, oftentimes, can be just like porcupines. So the question is not if we disagree, but when it happens, how are we to handle it? Is there a way that we can avoid having a big blowout? And what should we do when Christians disagree? And how can we pursue it in a way that is God-honoring? You know, in our verses today, we see two 
very close friends, ministry partners, two great men of God, Paul and Barnabas, and they clash with each other. And this is not a pretty picture. There is no happy ending that we read from our verses. We don't see any repentance. We don't see any forgiveness. And this will be the last time we see Barnabas mentioned in the book of Acts. You know, today will be one of those stories where we're not going to learn from the victory and successes from godly people, but we're actually going to learn from their mistakes. So here are the three questions we're going to answer to help unpack this passage. The first question is this, why did they fight? Why did they fight? Or better yet, should they have disagreed? Was their disagreement justifiable? The second question, how did they handle it and why was it done so poorly? Why did Paul and Barnabas, instead of seeking compromise or even just agreeing to disagree, allowed us to blow up their friendship? And then finally, how did God handle this disagreement? How did God do it? How did God redeem and restore a pretty messed up situation? So let's look at the first question here. Why did they fight and was it justifiable? And what we're going to see here with Paul and Barnabas is that they were excited and committed to go back to strengthen the churches that they planted, but there was one thing that they could not agree on. Who was going to join their team? So once again, let's look at verses 36 to 38 again. 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Okay. So some context. So Paul and Barnabas had spent the last 10 years on their first missionary journey all around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, planting churches. So after that is done, they return back to Antioch. They give a report of all that's happened. But knowing Paul, he doesn't stay in one place for a very long time, so he is ready. He's like, it's time to go back out on this second missionary journey. And the plan was simple. We're going to go back to the very same churches that we planted to check up on them and see how they're doing and to strengthen these churches. So for Paul and Barnabas, they agreed on the mission, they agreed on the where and when, but where they didn't agree was the who. Who was going to be part of this missionary team for the second journey? Barnabas wanted his cousin, John Mark, to come, and Paul says, no way. Specifically, he says in verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, what Paul is referencing here is back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, where it says this. Let me just show it to you. Acts 13, 13 says this. Now, Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark here was with Paul and Barnabas on the very first missionary journey. But somewhere in that first journey, Mark decides to leave and go home to Jerusalem. You know, Paul says that Mark, in verse 38, had withdrawn from them. The word withdrawn in the Greek means departed. It's actually where we get the root word for apostasy. This is someone who turns away from the faith. So when Mark left, Paul saw this as a sign of faithlessness and weakness. Now, the author Luke, in the book of Acts, doesn't tell us why 
Mark left. Now, some commentators say he was homesick. Others say that he got scared. And others say that when Mark left, he left because he had some really serious concerns about the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, becoming Christians. In verse 38, Paul says, Paul said it thought best not to bring with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. That word work. Now, that word work is important because that, the word, the way that work is used in the immediate context of Acts is the work of reaching the Gentiles. And this is what I think is happening here, and this is where I would lean in my understanding of, of what the situation is that Paul right now is evangelizing and converting Gentiles to Christ. And they're coming in masses, but he is not forcing them to become Jewish first. He's not making them follow Jewish laws and traditions. But Mark, who is a Jew, who's also from the priestly line of Levi, who has worked in the temple, he was very Jewish. He followed the law. As a matter of fact, he had administered the law to others, heads back to Jerusalem, and alarms the church leaders of this controversial work. This might be one of the reasons why the Jerusalem Council had to meet in the previous verses in Acts 15 to discuss this very matter. And to me, this makes a lot of sense because of why Paul was so adamant that Mark did not join them because they were going back to the very same Gentile believers that they brought to Christ, the very same people that Mark actually opposed. And now, after the, so and now what had probably happened is after the decision of the Jerusalem Council and Mark having a chance to hear like, okay, now I understand what's going on here. I, I'm getting a bit bigger picture of the gospel. I was wrong. He now wants to redeem himself. But Paul's like, you know what? You're not going to redeem yourself on this next missionary journey. I just don't trust you. But for Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, sees this as an opportunity for growth. Okay, so this is where they disagreed with. Now, what can we learn about some lessons here? You know, when, when, what do we learn about how, what they're disagreeing about? First, I want to share with this. When you disagree, first do this. Know what you're disagreeing about. It's important that we know this. Is it for spiritual reasons are carnal reasons, fleshly reasons. Now, I say this because for Paul and Barnabas, this disagreement was not because of gospel issues, but philosophy of ministry issues. Paul and Barnabas are not fighting over salvation issues. They're not fighting over the grace of God. They're not fighting over the inerrancy of the word of God. They're not fighting over the Trinity. In matters like those, we must disagree with those who differ. But this is not the issue of Mark. It is not a gospel issue. It is a wisdom issue. It's a prudence issue. Is it wise to bring Mark on this next missionary journey? This is a disagreement that comes from a godly place of concern. And I wish in this moment that Paul and Barnabas could go to a passage in Scripture where it says that when a young missionary departs from the work, only give them a second chance after 18 months, months of repentance and training. You're not going to see verses like that here. 
So what happens in moments like this as believers is that we wrestle to discern God's will in matters where there isn't a whole ton of clarity for that specific situation. And this is a good thing because this is a practice of dependence. So friends, when you get into a disagreement, what we need to see from our verses here is first know what kind of disagreement is it. Is it a spiritual reason or is it a carnal reason? Now, when does it become a carnal reason? Uh, let me show you what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is painting a situation in the church in Corinth. Let me show you what's happening here. It says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. For while there was jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? So Paul is confronting fights within the Corinth church, and there are some people who say, I follow Apollos, and there's others who say, I follow Paul, and because I follow this Christian leader, I'm more Christian than you. And Paul hears this, and he is appalled, and he says to them, your disagreements are not for godly gospel reasons. Your disagreements are human. They, they are fleshly. They are selfish. They are prideful. Most of the time, when we get into conflicts, it's not because of defending the gospel. It's mostly defending our pride. That our disagreements aren't over doctrine, but over personality issues or preference issues. And what we see here with Paul and Barnabas is the classic case of one person's greatest strength is also their greatest weakness. That Paul's greatest strength was that he was resolute and unwavering. That he was a first, that he was a fierce persecutor of the church, and now he is a fierce proclaimer of the gospel. But his shadow side was that he lacked the patience to accept someone who wasn't where he was at. Barnabas's strength was his ability to encourage the faint-hearted. But his shadow side was that he could empathize with someone so much that he could err on the side of people-pleasing over God-pleasing. And what can easily happen in situations like this when you have two very different people who see and do things so differently is that you can now begin to push personality differences into the realm of doctrine. Because when our ideas or the way we do things get challenged, our feelings begin to get hurt. And all of a sudden, this disagreement is all about me and not about Jesus. So the things that we should be open-handed about, our preferences, our personalities, maybe a unique perspective that we have, things that we should be open-handed about, once we get hurt, what happens? We close our hands and say, no, this is just as important as the cross of Jesus Christ. These two are exact same thing, so I'm going to fight so wholeheartedly over these two issues. These are disagreements over carnal reasons, and we need to repent and ask for forgiveness. So once again, when you get into disagreements, first ask, what kind of disagreement am I in right now? Should this even be a disagreement? Is it for spiritual reasons or carnal reasons? And secondly, know yourself in disagreement. How is your personality and temperament and uni unique life experiences impacting this disagreement. 
And this leads us to our second question. How did Paul and Barnabas handle this this disagreement? And why did it blow up so bad? How did this conflict fracture their friendship and ministry partnership? Verse 39 to 41. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So after this difference of opinion, they had a sharp disagreement. In the Greek, it literally means that they provoked one another. It means that their words were violent, they were hostile, angry, harsh, and bitter in their disagreement. I do not think it's a stretch to say that both men crossed the line into sinful anger. That instead of humility and compromise and compassion and, ca- and, and, and kindness and gentleness, it was so contentious. They were not nice to each other. In fact, the verbs are in the imperfect tense, which means that this is a continual fighting. It's unending. It is ongoing. They are constantly fighting and bickering with each other. This is not a one and done type of situation. Both of them are going at it and both of them dug their heels to the ground and they never budged. Barnabas was convinced that he was right and Paul was convinced that he was right. So here's the question. Who was right? Now, if you're people oriented, you'll probably move towards Barnabas. And if you're a little bit more task-oriented, you may move towards Paul. But the author, Luke, doesn't say specifically. Now, you do get a small hint in verse 40 that maybe Paul was right. Because it says that the brothers commended Paul and Silas on their journey, but they never mention commending Barnabas and Mark on their journey. Now, for myself personally, I think in a situation like this, both were right and both were wrong. That's usually, when these things happen and they blow up like this, usually two sides are to blame for stuff like this. But I believe that they were right in their cases and also wrong. Well, how are they right? I think Paul was right. That Paul was about to jump into the fire and he needed a team that was not gonna run when things got too hard. He needed people who could face opposition, persecution, hardship, and sickness. Paul could quote the words of Jesus Christ. No one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Mark has not proven himself to be fit for that kind of service. So I think Paul was right. But I also believe that Barnabas was right. He saw an underdeveloped potential in Mark, and he wanted to extend grace in spite of his mistake. That Barnabas could say, look at Peter. He denied Jesus three times, and he was restored. Look at Jonah. He ran away from Nineveh, but he was used by God. And as a matter of fact, and I'm sure Barnabas did this, Paul, look at your life. What did I do for you? Because Paul, when you converted, no one wanted to be around you. No one trusted you. But guess who fought for you? I fought for you. And because I did that, because Barnabas did that, he gave the church its greatest missionary and theologian. So I would say, you know what? Both men are right, and both men could quote Scripture to support their cases here. But I also believe that both were very wrong because they let pride take over. They refused to budge. They became stubborn. They cared more about being right than being right 
with one another. And here's the lesson for us when it comes to disagreements. Don't let it lead us to anger and bitterness. Don't let it do that. You know, let me just give you a few warning signs of when you're about to cross that line to anger and bitterness. First, it's when the issue consumes you. You're staying up, stewing over it. The conversation is playing in repeat over and over and over in your head. And you imagine yourself debating with this one other person. And surprisingly, every time you debate with this person, you see yourself winning every single time. You know, when this disagreement has become a controlling passion in your life, you've crossed the line. You know, another sign of crossing the line is when you think negatively about the person. That every time their name comes up or you see them on the other side of the room, your blood boils. And what begins to happen is that you attack the person and not the problem. That instead of working towards a God-honoring situation, sorting out the pluses and minuses of everything, you start to begin to cast doubt on that person's character. You've gone too far. And here's one more sign when you've crossed the line. The Bible is not a tool to build up but someone to beat someone up with. That as Christians, we have to be careful because we have the truth of the gospel, we have the word of God, and so often what we do as Christians is that we go around walking around with our gospel gun in our holsters, fully loaded, and if anyone disagrees with me, bang, 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 bang. You know, I got you all with all these different verses, right? And what, what ends up happening? We make them feel small because you know what? You don't know the word of God like I do. Friends, when you do this, you actually prove the opposite. You prove that you know nothing about the word of God. Because if you really knew the gospel, it wouldn't make you arrogant or a bully. It would make you humble and gracious. Now, this doesn't mean that we back away from truth. We never do that. We must contend for the faith. But it doesn't mean that we have to be jerks about doing it. And frankly, this is what happened to Paul and Barnabas. They crossed the line and they became very jerky towards one another. That instead of working towards a compromise or just graciously agreeing to disagree and parting ways in mutual respect, they left one another in sharp disagreement. They left on a bitter note. Now, it might have been God's will for these two men to separate for the sake of the gospel, but it was not God's will for them to separate in animosity and bitterness because it would be counter to the teaching of God's word. And here's the final question. How then did God handle this disagreement? How did God redeem and restore something so messed up? You know, when we read to the very end of our verses, it feels like a major letdown. If this was a movie, it would be a horrible movie, right? That these two men are acting like big pouty kids here, and now their friendship and partnership is broken up, and Mark, poor Mark, Think about him. If he didn't feel bad before, he feels really bad now. If he didn't feel guilty before, he feels it now. But was all of this negative? Was it all negative? I don't think so. For two reasons. First, notice that instead of having one missions team, there is now two missions team. Verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
Now, I say this not to justify the anger and bitterness from Paul and Barnabas. Instead, what I want you to show here, what I want to tell you here, is that all the credit goes to our gracious and wonderful God who continued to provide for his mission to seek and save the lost in spite of them. That even in disagreement, God multiplies. That there's now two teams, twice the manpower, twice the distance that can be covered for the gospel. And this is why I believe the author Luke puts the story here because he is again painting a picture of how the gospel goes unhindered. That we have to remember that the priority of the book of Acts is not to tell the story of Peter, could care less about telling the story of Peter, it's not about Paul. It's not about any of the apostles. All the book of Acts is all about is telling us how the Holy Spirit moves in and through the church to see the gospel go to the very ends of the earth till there is no place left. So what we see here is that even in our sinful disagreements, the proclamation of the gospel can't be stopped because our God cannot be stopped. That God could turn something that wasn't good and redeem it for his glorious purposes. That even though in the pain of conflict, the gospel marches on. And can I just say, thank God that this gospel movement does not depend on us. It only depends on God and his Holy Spirit. And this leads me to the second reason why I find hope. It's because God uses sinners like you and me to be part of the gospel movement. You know, the author, Luke, didn't, didn't have to add this disagreement to the pages of Scripture. Quite frankly, he could have just said that Paul went north, Barnabas went west, and the gospel grew. And we would never know better. We would never know that a big disagreement happened. But he adds the story as a reminder that the only people God ever uses is sinners like us. We see here that even with the greatest heroes of Scripture, they were not angels. They were flawed just like any of us. And this is such good news because our failures are no match for God's grace and mission. You know, consider Mark here. After this split, we actually don't hear about Mark till 10 years later in Colossians chapter 4. That it's in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae from Rome as a prisoner. Paul is speaking from prison. And let me show you what he says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. He says this in Colossians 4.10. You know, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Do you see this? Ten years later, in a Roman prison... Who do we see as Paul's companion? It's Mark. Now, something has happened in their relationship. We don't know what it is, but clearly whatever doubts Paul had about Mark's usefulness in the kingdom has changed. That a quitter has now become a trusted friend. And this relationship was so deep and so precious that a few years later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul writes his final letter to Timothy before he is murdered... He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia. Titus to the Lamentia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark 
and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. At the brink of death, Paul wanted Mark by his side. Can I tell you what the story of Mark is here? His story is that of restoration and reconciliation. That even though he made a major screw up in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and it led to the best of friends and ministry partners to part ways, the best was yet to come for Mark. That God redeemed him and used him. In addition, during those 10 years that Mark is gone, we also know from 1 Peter chapter 5 that he spent a lot of time with Peter, the apostle, hearing story after eyewitness story about Jesus Christ. Friends, when you open up the New Testament, what's the second gospel you see? It is the gospel according to Mark. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing what happened to this massive screw-up, a deserter of the faith? Do you see what happened? He writes the inspired words of God. Let me tell you something. Mark had a rough start, but he ended strong by the grace of God. Can I just say that some of you have had a really rough start? You've had a rough year, man. Let me just say, you've had a rough week. You know, it's, you know, it's just been rough. And let me just encourage you, by God's grace, you can end strong. Just like how we see God use Paul and Barnabas and Mark, he can and will use you. You know, Rick Warren, a pastor in California, you know, said this. Let me show it to you. He says that God has a history of calling people to do things that were beyond themselves. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was reluctant, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least, Paul was impulsive and hot-tempered, Martha worried a lot, the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That's quite a group of misfits, but God used each of them in his service. He will use you too. Our past is no match for God's grace. Our regrets and failures are no match for God's promises. Our stubborn conflicts and disagreements are no match for God's reconciling power. Amen? Amen. Let me just give you a few closing words of encouragement. First, sometimes disagreements can seem so deep that we can feel separated forever. You know, let me just remind you that even though we disagree, we are still a part of God's family. And because we are a part of God's family, reconciliation is always possible because of the healing power of the cross is, is, all, is always available. So if, you, if, so if there is someone that you've hurt, it is never too late to reconnect. And if there is someone who has hurt you, it is never too late to forgive. And if there is someone here who drives you nuts, 
Be patient with one another. Extend grace instead of being their chief critic. Become their chief advocate and seeing them grow in Christ-like maturity. Very likely that this person who is so different and opposite of who you are is the very complement of who can strengthen you in your faith. Don't be quick to dismiss people like that. Let me just close with this story here. You know, before my pastorate here at Park, I was serving as a pastoral assistant at the Chinese Christian Union Church, which is actually just maybe about a few blocks that way here. Now, it was an honor for me to serve at the very church where I came to know Christ. It's when I started working at CCUC, that's the name of the church, it was a real, started working there. Like, it it started off with this incredible joy, but I'll tell you that it didn't last very long, that it became very rough from the get-go. I wasn't performing up to what was expected of me, And it led to a very contentious relationship between me and my supervisor. And when pastors get contentious, guess what happens to the rest of the congregation? They also get very contentious with one another. And after a few years of being unable to resolve our differences, my wife and I knew that God was calling us away from a church that we loved so deeply. And when we left CCUC, I was just so discouraged. And frankly, I thought I was done with the ministry. I was like, man, I'm just not performing up to snuff here. I'm I'm just not doing a good job. And by God's grace, I got on the radar of the lead pastor of Park Community Church at the time, Jackson Crum, and they were looking to launch a a new church in the South Loop. And I interviewed to it, for it. And to my surprise, they wanted me to lead it. I was like, are you sure you got the right person here? But they said, we want you to do it. So in April of 2010, I had the opportunity to launch the University Village campus, campus, which has now become the South Loop Church, which Rafe has been doing a fantastic job pastoring these last many years. And then in 2015, Park was looking to plant more churches, and the lead pastor walked into my office and said, hey, Kenson, would you like to plant another church? Uh, well, I'm kind of interested. Where? In your, bar- in your backyard. In Bridgeport. In Bridgeport. So in April 2016, from this South Loop Church, we launched the Bridgeport Church. And can I just tell you that today between our two churches, we have about four to 500 people attending in worship. And on September 12th, we'll be launching the Hyde Park Church, you know, by Noah Chung here. Now, if you asked me 12 years ago when I was at my very lowest, and you said to me at that time, hey, Kenson, You're going to be a part of three gospel-preaching churches on the near south side. You're going to help plant those. Shut up. Whatever, man. If you were to say to me, hey, guess what? You're going to be reconciled with your supervisor, and you're going to be Facebook friends. Shut up. Get out of here. I would never believe it. It's happened. It's happened. We are Facebook friends, and you know it's the real deal here, right? And if you were to ask me that the church in Chinatown that seemed to be tearing apart at the seams 12 years ago would have its best year of outreach and evangelism during COVID, I would never believe it. But it's happening right now. You know, I share this with you not because I'm anything special. If you know me, you know me long enough, I am not special at all. But I'm sharing this because it's a testimony of just how good and how great our God is that he can use any circumstance. He can use disagreements and conflicts and stubbornness. He can use imperfect people like you and me to bring himself all the glory. Our disagreements are no match for the gospel of grace. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray.
Father God, Lord, I pray for the unity of this church and God of all our churches. That your son prays for one of his final prayers, that they would be one as you and me, father and son are one, so that the world may know that you sent me. That God, that it's through our unity and love and compassion and kindness towards one another that the world will know that a savior has redeemed broken people. But Father, we also know that, Lord, we are still working through our sanctification. There is still brokenness in our hearts. We're still working through issues and baggage and so forth. God, would you help us, Lord, to do so in a gracious way, in a kind way towards each other. And God, if there is disagreements within our church, Lord, whether it's sitting in our seats right now or maybe people outside of our seats, maybe in our workplace or in our homes, Father, would you give us the courage and the power and the conviction, Lord, to step out in faith, to step out in forgiveness, to step out to give that forgiveness, Lord, or to step out and to ask for forgiveness. But God, would you bring about reconciliation and redeem those disagreements to bring yourself all the glory. That, Father, we thank you that even in our disagreements and conflicts and church splits and kind of all these things that happen all across the world, God, nothing gets in the way of your spirits working. And, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that. Father, you put this all in yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.